And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Andy Staple Show presented by Sling. You guys loved our rewatch editions that we ran earlier this summer. This episode was supposed to come to you a long time ago. Mitch Sherman and Max Olson were going to join me to relive the epic 2009 Texas-Nebraska Big 12 championship game, and the day we were going to record it, UCLA and USC went to the Big 10, and we had to cancel. Oops. But now we're back. Max, Mitch, welcome. Hopefully there's still an audience for this podcast a month later. If something we'll big happens while we're, while, we're, while we're doing this, if there's some big news in the Big 10, then we can just do yeah. this again in September. Yes. Oh, I, oh, I just <laughs> Illinois just left for the SEC. I'm sorry. <laughs> we got to go. <laughs> Shut it down. Brett no. Gerber calls me in the middle of this pod. I'm just going to say, son of a bitch. Okay. We, we are ready. We are ready for anything at this point. But yeah, th- it, it's it's interesting that we talk about this because this was only months before the big. Well, I, it, was a, it was one month, I believe, before the Big Ten basically said, Hey, we're going to think about expanding. And Nebraska winds up in the Big Ten the following June. So this is somewhat topical anyway. But this game. Yeah, there's, there are conference so, realignment ramifications even in this this uh, this game from 12 yeah, years so ago. Absolutely. Much going on here, guys. So let's let's hear from Brent Musburger as he sets the table at the start of the broadcast. For the Longhorns, folks, the stakes are sky high. No margin for error tonight. While the Husker Nation attempts to throw the college football world into a frenzy with an upset. And we've already had one upset today. And that, of course, in the SEC championship game, number two knocking off number one, 32 to 13. So now Bama will move to the BCS championship game we will solve the rest of the puzzle, but maybe we won't. Because if Nebraska stages an upset for the ages, folks, all bets are off. It'll go to the computers. And so Kirk Herbstreet and, and Britt Musburger are talking, and there is a graphic of the BCS standings going into that week, which had you know Florida number one, Alabama number two. Weird to hear Alabama beating Florida being called an upset. Mm-hmm. But I guess it yeah. was. I think it was a point spread upset. And it was definitely a rankings upset. But Texas was number three going in. TCU, Cincinnati, Boise State. That's your three, four, five. All undefeated. Cincinnati had survived a classic in the snow with Pitt earlier that day in uh, what wound up being Brian Kelly's last game as Cincinnati's head coach. And then you had Oregon at nine and two, Ohio State at ten and two. Like they weren't getting in. So it was going to be, if Nebraska wins this game, the ultimate BCS buster scenario because Cincinnati, now Cincinnati's in the Big East. That is a BCS conference at the time. Correct. Yeah. So it would not have seemed as weird as, say, TCU getting in. 
But there were some strange, strange stakes going on here. And you had a Texas team that had been good all season on both sides of the ball. A Nebraska team, the defense was absolutely dominant, led, of course, by Indomitian Sue, who we'll be talking about an awful lot over the next few minutes. And guys, I, I we were all at this game. I don't remember coming in with any expectations of what it would be. I, I, I felt like Texas was beatable, but I don't, I, I guess I didn't think it would be what it turned out to be. Can I just say first, before we get into the game, how much I love Brent Musburger in that moment. And in all of the moments like that, he's so good at setting the stage for what was a huge day in college football. And it was, it's great to hear. And I didn't hear it on that day uh, because of course I was in the press box at Jerry world, but uh, it was, it's in rewatching it. It was just a treat to be able to listen to, to Brent and the way that he set the stage for that thing. Also got to say, like, it's easy to forget. Like I, I feel like I've been to AT&T Stadium so many times now that I completely take it for granted. This is 09. This is the year that this billion-dollar stadium uh, opened. Mm. And uh, you could even see this was the, kind of that first year you're, you're seeing the players look up on the scoreboard and try to figure out what's going on. It was such a spectacle to be there. And, and it was also interesting watching this, just thinking like, man, this is a Saturday night conference title game for the big 12 because the big 10 didn't have one back then yeah. and so right. um this this was a primetime game that felt like a really big deal uh as opposed to now where they do the 11 a.m kicks um and andy this game did uh 12.7 million viewers <laughs> like last wow. year's big 12 title game did eight like it, this was a huge huge game oh yeah there was another conference title game going on at the same time Georgia Tech versus Wake Forest in the That's ACC right. championship That's game. Right. Georgia Tech beating Wake Forest. <laughs> Paul Johnson in the option winning the ACC title. I think that one got vacated later. Uh, but yeah, th- this is the stakes of this thing were massive in a way that the BCS, you know, that's what they wanted. They wanted it to turn these games into, into something huge. And it did. It didn't have a lot of clarity, but if, if, you know, one of the team, if Texas lost, but it, it made for a winner, not a winner take all, but a, a, you know, for Texas, you are going to the national championship game if you win this game. And, you know, I just, it, it was, I think of the way this game started. And if Nebraska puts, Nebraska has two massive opportunities right off the bat where they get the ball with great field position. If they put either one of those in the end zone, this game's over. Yeah, the thing that we didn't expect coming into this game was that there were going to be the kind of Heisman implications that there were. Of course, you had Colt McCoy, who was the runner-up to Sam Bradford um, previously, uh, the year before in 2008. Um, You had Tim Tebow in the mix. You had... Um, Toby Gerhardt at Stanford and Mark Ingram at Alabama, who eventually won the Heisman a week later. But but Indomitian Sue was viewed as this great defensive player, you know, who was going to clean up in early December in all of the defensive hardware, but not even really on the map in terms of the Heisman consideration. And then Andy, because of what happened at the beginning of that game, and and, and eventually all the way throughout, but at the beginning, he just ripped your eyeballs out with 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 what he did in getting through uh that that texas offensive line and immediately it became 
a conversation about Ndamukong Sue versus Colt McCoy. And that is why Nebraska had the opportunity early to take a bigger lead than it did, which was just six to nothing after those two, those two field goals. Yeah. Remember, so there's an interception on the first drive. Eric Hag intercepts him, intercepts Colt McCoy on the, and returns to Texas 41 and they end up kicking a field goal. And then they're, they're stuffed. And here's, here's, here's a sack that, that, that helps that happen. First down and 10, and McCoy's going to put it back up on first down. Put by the receiver. Sue closing in from the backside. There is the champ. Sue and his buddy Crick. Yeah, and Dominick Sue and Jared Crick combine to sack Colt McCoy early. This winds up being a three and out. Are we going to play like all nine of these, all, all ten of these? No, no, I have, I, I have as many of these as you want, though. Like, I <laughs> have a few to choose from. Yes. Yeah, but it is, it is remarkable. And I just remember sitting in the press box because the, the press box at AT&T Stadium, you're, you're kind of coming looking out of the end zone. So you could see the line of scrimmage play very well, especially on, on, on that side of the field. And thinking, how in the world did they make this poor center try to reach block and Dominican Sue? And I realize you're running zone schemes. That's part of the deal. But you can't have someone reach blocking and Dominican Sue one-on-one. It's just not possible. No, the, and, and the doubles really didn't do much, had, had very little effect. It was funny, watching that game early on, you could see, like, you could see Greg Davis knew what, what to expect because early on, there's a pretty, there's, there, he definitely put us on a clinic in terms of, like, we got to stay away from that guy, whether it was shovels or quick throws or screens or rollouts. Obviously, they're trying to do a lot of cut blocks, which they got penalized for a few times, but um, you could tell as the game goes on, um, Sue just just keeps wrecking. He just never slows down, and then that mm-hmm. frees Nebraska up to just blitz from all angles on on passing downs and stuff like that. They, they and, also and tried over to time. Chop. They just like didn't really have time to help Colt get away from Sue yeah. because it just it, they would just swallow him up so quickly. They also tried to chop Crick on the first play and got called for it, and I think that may have had to, that may have changed how they were going to block. For the rest of first play yeah. of the game. There were more and, of those too. Yeah. yeah. And you and you hear Brenton and Kirk saying, Oh, they're trying to chop Sue. No, no, they chopped Jared Crick. But remember, Jared Crick's awesome also. Yeah. So yeah. I think it we probably can, changed their strategy a little bit. Yeah, we can and we can I'm sure we'll get into this later when we when we talk about the, what was the defining play of this game. But there were moments in this game where it seemed like Indomitian Sue was almost too dominant for his own good. Like he got to Colt McCoy <laughs> too, too fast. And in one play in particular, he got to him too fast and didn't allow the clock to run out. But we'll, we'll talk about that. But that, that, you know, he, he was just a, you know, I covered him all through his career and in particular all through that senior year, which was the first one where he teamed up. I'm sorry, the second one where he teamed up with Bo Pelini and Carl Pelini, Bo's older brother, the defensive coordinator. And, and that's when they just completely turned him into a monster. But we should also, you mentioned Jared Crick, Andy. We should also mention Barry Turner and Pierre Allen up front on that defensive line for Nebraska. All four of those mm-hmm. guys uh, spent time in the NFL. And of course, Ndamukong Sue is, is still in the NFL after being the, the number two overall pick in that in that 2010 draft. So, well, and, and, and the thing that, Stood out on the other side too. Um, like I know, well, obviously Nebraska's offense was just completely futile that whole night. But like 
Texas was <laughs> Texas was rolling on defense. Nine of their starters mm-hmm. got drafted. Obviously, Earl Thomas is the all pro out of that group, but um, that they had a ton of talent. They finished number one in the country in run defense that year and third down defense. Like Brett, uh, uh, you know, Muschamp the. Uh, you know, Will Muschamp, the, the head coach in waiting at Texas, uh, <laughs> yes. which is a funny asterisk. Um, mm. He had them playing really well. And, and Andy, I don't know if you – as I watched that and watched the, I think, 15 total three and outs in that game, like mm-hmm. this felt like Muschamp versus Pelini kind of like both at their primes. Yes, yes. This was, this was the best of that. And neither one could ever get offense figured out as a head coach. And I think, I think that's, that was their downfall because Muschamp had good teams at Florida – uh, he overachieved at times at South Carolina, but they never could match the offense to the defense. And ultimately, you know, even his last South Carolina defense was not good. But I want to get back to the shovel pass that you mentioned earlier, because Greg Davis did use this a bunch. And let's remember Trey Newton, one of the one of the key backs for Texas, the son of Nate Newton, mm-hmm. did not look like Nate Newton. But that shovel pass was Texas's most effective play for this entire game. And if you watched the next game Texas plays, it comes back to bite them in the ass because yeah. I, I've never seen I had never seen a shovel pass get intercepted to that point. Like I remember in high school when our coaches installed the shovel pass, and I'm like, this looks dangerous. And they're like, just watch. Nobody ever intercepts it. Cause it, like the D linemen <laughs> are never expecting it to, to yeah. show up. Well, Marcel Darius intercepted one. Bit of an athlete that Marcel Darius and, and returned it for a touchdown against Texas in the national t- in the national title game in the Rose Bowl. So that was I, I, the first time I saw that shovel pass work. I'm like, Whoa. oh no! <laughs> yeah. It's the one thing. Oh, that this Sue is terrible for them. <laughs> yep. So, but it was, but it was that tough a sledding for an offense that had had no. I mean. Let's put it this way. Texas offense had had its way with every team they'd played pretty much at that point. And it's it, it's interesting looking back on that because we remember 08 is this just epic year in the Big 12, right? Where you've got Missouri, Oklahoma, Texas, Texas Tech, Nebraska and Oklahoma State were good. Like it, it was a loaded year in the Big 12. 09 was a little different, you know, because Sam Bradford gets hurt and that takes Oklahoma out of the picture. They go eight and five. Nebraska and Texas were the only teams in the Big 12 that year that won 10 games. And so I think that there was probably a perception that this was a little bit softer year in the conference and that sort of like, how seriously do we take Texas? They were coming off this big road win, 49-39 over A&M. And Colt had a monster game in that one. But it, it seemed like Texas did still... Obviously, they had to figure out some way to survive this game, but they still they it seemed like they did have something to prove here a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, I, it's it's interesting because everything that season was was geared toward that Alabama Florida rematch in the SEC title right. game. Right. And it felt like everything else was was just an undercard. And I was glad that this game. Got the, the nation's attention and it's like, OK, no, 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 there's more stuff going on here. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. It was actually a, a play by Nebraska's defense that that allows Texas to get on the board. And, and, you know, that's one thing I had forgotten. Like, Texas had third and 13. And it was a P.I. call that got Texas into, into position to score its only touchdown. So let's let, let's hear that touchdown, which is was right after the P.I. call. And it's uh, it's Colt getting loose. And they put him to McCoy's left. Work out of the eye with the lead fullback. They're going to give it to the quarterback behind him, and McCoy trying to get to the end zone. Touchdown! The first touchdown of the evening. The only touchdown of the evening. <laughs> the only. And that and that play had to be reviewed. Um, mm-hmm. Colt McCoy was it was a second down play, so not necessarily um, vital for Texas to uh, to get in the end zone on that play. But McCoy was after review was ruled to to have gotten in uh, barely but uh, you know it was deflating for Nebraska at that moment because while Texas started to take some control right there with that drive and and I think carried momentum offensively despite not scoring much in the second half carried some momentum and controlled field position in the second half Nebraska up until that point I think had controlled the the, the flow of the game and the Huskers yep. only led 6-0 and then with that touchdown there late in the second quarter, all of a sudden Nebraska's behind at halftime, despite playing really well, um, obviously on, on defense to lead the way, but he even did some nice things on offense uh, to get in field goal range a couple of times uh, in, in the first half. Well, and, and let's remember Alex Henry hitting those, those field goals. Like Alex Henry is probably Nebraska's second best player. As a he's a kicker and a punter, and he's really good at both. And so he had a 52 yarder to put them on the board or, or to put to, to give them the, the six nothing lead. And then the, the first one, the first one he hit was for 45. So, yeah, if, if not, I'll, I'll Alex Henry, he was probably seven those, three. those years. Yeah, he was yeah, so this is fun the guy to watch. who, yeah, this is the guy who hit the 57 yarder the year before in Bo's first season to beat Colorado at Memorial Stadium. And, of course, Sue factored heavily at the end of that game, yeah. too, with the, um, with, with, a, with a touchdown um, defensively. But, you know, Henry was incredible. And, you know, st- still to this day remains and, – and it's, it's so amazing the juxtaposition now with Nebraska just being terrible on special teams to think back to the lineage of kickers that the Huskers had. But Alex Henry was probably the best out of all of them because he was a kicker and a punter. And just had an incredible leg, you know. Went on to the NFL. He was a walk-on um, out of Omaha who came into the program for Bill Callahan and and uh, high school yeah, soccer player, a, I think. Right, right. Yeah. right. He was at Omaha Burke. Yeah, just just a 
Um, a, a pretty amazing story, Alex Henry, and he's a guy who's still around. Um, and you know, you see him uh, around the program, helping out at time to time uh, still it, today. Fellas, we we had the best best kicker of the decade playing punter for Texas in this game too. I mean, that's so crazy to think. Hunter that's, Lawrence is the guy that's the hero at the end yeah. of this game, right? Yeah. And Justin Tucker is just the he's a sophomore at this point. He's he's the punter for Texas and doing kickoffs. But that's like, like you're asking Hunter Lawrence to save your season with a kick there. Like Justin Tucker ends up kicking a 66 yarder in the NFL someday. <laughs> the specialists crazy. in this game, just unreal. That's what we got to talk about. Oh, yeah. Well, so <laughs> this game goes to halftime at 7 6. I want to play this coming out of the half just because it's always fun to remember what sort of weird marketing deal ESPN was involved in at a given time. <laughs> This one, I did not remember because I didn't watch the game live because I was there. I would have just fallen out of my chair laughing had I been watching this live. But here is Brent Musburger advertising the new Dave Matthews Band album. The Dave Matthews Band for receiving two Grammy nominations, including their first album of the year nomination for the Big Whiskey and the Gru Grux King as we welcome everybody back to the Dr. Pepper Big 12 Championship on ABC. That is the first time I have thought mm. about the Big Whiskey and the Grugrux King album in a long, long time. <laughs> Man, I, I Musburger was so good on this. And he, he I love that in the, in the fourth quarter, he just kept shouting, you know, we're, we're about to have BCS chaos, BCS chaos. Like he, uh. he, they, he did an, he and Herbie did an awesome job of just setting the mood on this. And it even... There were times when you felt like they were rooting for Nebraska to just do something on offense. Like they wanted to Anything. applaud when they finally got a first down and late in the third quarter because they were doing absolutely nothing offensively. Well, let's let, one, let's yeah, one minute forty four seconds from BCS Chaos. Yeah. yeah. Let's Brent, let's talk Brent's about the, the setting of the tone in the second half because uh Mr. Sue said it very early. Second down and twenty three, and McCoy back going to throw and to take off, receivers recovered, and he is thrown down by Indomitian Sue. Indomitian is dominating. Wow. Get great coverage here by this Nebraska defense. Am Amu Kamara, the defensive uh, corner here, 21, sitting right on Malcolm Williams. That's exactly where Colt McCoy wanted to go, but because of the coverage, watch Sue fight through this double team. Chris Hulk trying to help out with Michael Huey actually pushed Huey off of Sue, and then it was a one-on-one -on -one battle, which Sue will win every time. That was the ragdoll sack. That's the one where he throws ragdoll him. That's sack. the one you yeah. saw yeah. on That's the every signature play there. Th that yeah. one and the one where he just takes McCoy out at the sideline where, oh. where some of those where you're just like, Oh my God. Like you, as a quarterback, like Airborne. how are you not just shaking up the rest of the game? Knowing this guy's coming for you. If you're 305 pounds and you're parallel to the ground, like three and a half feet above the ground, that's um, something's just not normal in the, in the, 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 in your, in your world. I will say, so I was in New York the next week when the Heisman was handed out to, to Mark Ingram and in the interviews on Friday, the day before the, the ceremony, um, there was still just a little bit of of, of uh, frightening. Uh, there was a frightening, frightened look on the face of Colt McCoy. Still, uh, several days later, uh, because Indomitian Sue was in the building with him, so that that's a <laughs> scary guy. Not so much off the field, but when you got on the field with that guy, 
I don't I don't know that I've ever been around a football player who who was more frightening with his presence. Well, so that that led to this conversation between Brent and and Herbie, which when I heard it again in 2022, it actually it made me mad. Like it, it, this is this is where we were in college football in 2009, and I'm not sure we're much farther because like Will Anderson Regret, probably should have sure. won the Heisman last year and didn't, sure. but. This like this. This just actually made me angry to hear. I can see why he's rated number one on Mel Kiper's big board. Brent, we came into this game thinking that Colt McCoy had a chance to maybe put an exclamation point on a Heisman campaign, and we've heard all year that if a defensive player should ever win it, Intamikin Sue should be up there, three and a half sacks, and he's got a lot, a lot of more uh, opportunities tonight. So now Herbie is putting him in the Heisman conversation. <laughs> Might as well. Listen to him laugh. He was the best player in the country. Yeah, what a joke. He should have won the Heisman. And that's where, okay, so I, I, I was, I, I sh- we should have said this at the start. So I was just a, a young college newspaper guy covering Nebraska back in the day here. I didn't have a Heisman vote, obviously. So you guys this tell me how. This is my first year as a Heisman voter. You know first who year my, as a voter. my vote okay. went to? Number one, Indomitian Sue. So it came down to, so Mark Ingram, in the closest race ever, barely beats out Toby Gerhardt. And right. you go back and look, and I'm not knocking, like, obviously a lot of times the Heisman goes to the best player on the best team. So I'm not saying Mark, Mark Ingram, Ingram was Mark Ingram wasn't the best player on Alabama. Rolando McClain was. Number he was like 10th in rushing probably. in the in the country that year. Like, he put up good stats, and he had a good SEC title game. Yeah. But the, the, the numbers he put up in that year, you wouldn't, like, you wouldn't give that a Heisman nowadays, I don't think. Maybe just because the level of quarterback plays has exploded over these last five, ten years. But, like, they're not... They're not, he didn't have a really crazy year that made him some like unbelievable uh, easy choice. No, for it was a oh let's let's give it to Alabama's running back because we can't right fathom and, giving and it he, to somebody who plays a different position. Ingram ended up winning all of the regions except the Southwest, which went to Sue, and the West that went to Gerhardt. So, how did you guys handle this with your ballots? Well, I so I was um, I've been a voter for for a decade at this point. Um, I started as a voter in 1998 when I was finishing college and my first Heisman vote went to Ricky Williams. So come full circle here on the Texas discussion. Mm -hmm. I think up until this point, up until 2009, I had actually voted for the winner every year. I had, I had picked the winner correctly or my, my vote had contributed to the, to the winning total. I did pick Sue um, because I I just, I, I, that game was fresh in my mind. It wasn't so much about, covering him through his career or covering covering him that year i saw in that game what was you know like we're saying here clearly the best player on the field that He's day a superhero. And I, yeah, I, was yeah i thought the best the best player in the country so i yeah i voted for sue um in that game and and then and then covered the the ceremony and, and covered the uh the uh the, the events in orlando um, that that week after the the Big Twelve championship, also as a as an Omaha World Herald reporter. Yeah, I so I had that was my first year. I had Sue number one. I had Rolando McLean number two hmm. because he was Alabama's best player. And like you ask anybody who played on that team, he was the best player on that team. And I can't I can't remember who I had number three. Probably Gerhardt. Um, but it just. That that just made me mad to hear again. To just chuckle and be like, "Oh, you're crazy! You can't." Yeah, how that. could you possibly? 
No, he was the best player. It really wasn't close. <laughs> like, yeah, I had Gerhardt too, and I'm not sure about my third. It might, it may have been Tebow as a as a uh, career achievement career uh, achievement award, uh, which is it, the reason he was in New York. Well, well and what's crazy, Andy, is like I don't think I I, I want to believe it that we've evolved on that a little. The thinking's evolved a little bit, but like. Do we think people will take Will Anderson seriously this year? Like they they absolutely should, no, but like I mean, there's still a bunch of good quarterbacks that will probably will end up getting the votes. Yeah, and and he probably you know split votes with Bryce Young last year, and that's how Aiden Hutchinson right. wound up ranked higher in the Heisman balloting. Will Anderson had the most dominant season a defensive player has had since this Indomitian Sioux season we're Correct. talking about. Correct. Like, and he the, didn't the, go to New York. It's insane. Yeah. No one, no defensive player in between compares. And very few offensive players in between compare. Like, I'll give you Cam Newton and, and Manziel's Heisman season. Right. But th- there have not been many dominant ones. Joe Burrow obviously ran away with it. Yeah. yeah. But there, there have not been seasons like that. And that's what this, this Indomitian Sioux season just fascinated me. I remember doing a story. I did a story on him for SI.com before the season started because I said, why, you know, if you're looking for a defensive player who might be able to win the Heisman, it's this guy. And because he led the team in tackles as an interior defensive lineman. Like, that doesn't happen. Right. Yeah, like you would hope maybe we're a little, I don't know, or maybe we're a little more enlightened now and you'd have some more stats to be able to say, oh, he had freaking 150 pressures in this season or whatever he had. You know what I mean? Like, maybe yeah. maybe there's a little bit more of that, but that, it, that wasn't the case with Aaron Donald, right? It, it wasn't the case with Will Anderson. Right, and Aaron Donald is probably the closest to having that kind of season. Like there was yeah. a, there was a game where Pitt played Georgia Tech, and Georgia Tech was was still running the option at the time, and Aaron Donald had like four and a half tackles for loss against an option team. It's crazy. Where the entire offense is designed to never lose a yard, like mm-hmm. it's almost impossible mm-hmm. to do that, but he did it. So yeah, it's it's very interesting to to see how that has either changed or not changed, and I guess we'll find out. Uh, Te- Texas had 38 rushes in this game, by the way. They gained 81 yards. They lost 63 yards when you put the sack. So it's a net of 18. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> well, before we get much further, I do want to I do want to replay this one play for you guys. It's it's yet another interception. Actually, before we get to that, we got to get to Cody Green. We haven't talked about Cody Green yet. Yes. My yes. God. Yes. Bo Pelini. <laughs> Decides to change quarterbacks in this game at maybe the worst time you could possibly do it. Texas has just pooch kicked. Colt McCoy has just yeah. pooch punted inside the one. Mm-hmm. And that's when Pelini's like, okay, Zach Lee, you're out. Cody Green, you're I, I don't know if you guys picked up on this during the game, but Bo Pelini seemed displeased with Zach Lee's play. Just, just, the, just the slightest, <laughs> yeah. At the start of the fourth quarter, Colt McCoy had more punts in the second half than he had past completions. Just just a little aside there. Yeah, the the Cody Green was his true freshman, big, big dude, big athlete out of Texas. Um, there was definitely a moment in that game when maybe you want to give him a chance. It was not at the one-yard line where they run two QB sneaks to get out of the goal line, and then on third and five or whatever – Play action, he almost throws a pick, and they put exactly back in. I, I, I messed, I messed this up, by the way. I meant to replay this before we got to the Cody Green conversation, because okay. this, this is how Texas got the ball in Nebraska territory, 
then got stuffed by Sue and company, and then had to pooch punt. But this is how Texas got the ball. I'm just going to play it. Texas D licking its chops. Deflected again, and this one is intercepted. Picked off at the 35 by middle linebacker Roderick McElroy. Roderick McElroy. I just want to say what a name. Over- Roderick McElroy, Roderick McElroy. It just makes me happy to say Roderick McElroy. What did you think of the Nebraska passing game in this one, Andy? Like, I mean, you could, (laughs) you felt like they just had absolutely no confidence when it came to putting the ball in the air. No. And, and why not try some confidence builder type throws? Like, it's like they didn't even have any short throws in their offense. (laughs) I'm going to jump to Bo's defense just a little bit in this moment and say that Every time Zach Lee dropped back to pass or every time Nebraska called a pass play, it felt to me watching the game back then and on rewatch in 2022, it felt more likely that Texas was going to get an interception than it did that Nebraska was going to complete the pass. And I'm sure Bo felt some of that and Carl felt some of that. And Sean Watson, the Nebraska offensive coordinator, felt that on the on the sideline in Arlington. And so after he does throw his third pick of the game, that Muckleroy interception there in the third quarter, it's not all that shocking that they said, okay, we're done. This guy has got to come out of the game. At that point, not knowing that Cody Green's going in at the one-yard line because Texas has the ball. Now, Nebraska's <laughs> plan on offense in this game was, Roy Hulu, can you please bust an 80-yard run? Because that's all we've kind of got. Like They were able to get five, six yards on first down running the ball, but when they got into third down situations, they just really didn't have much open. And it was kind of a, you, you, I don't know how much you remember this, Mitch. I was reading up on this. It was kind of an interesting year uh, for that Nebraska offense. Um, and Musburger referenced this during the broadcast. Uh, Sean Watson was meeting with Tom Osborne on a weekly basis to get ideas because they had to totally uh, rework the offense during the year and, and more power run game. Both of the running backs are playing with injuries um, and they were young at receiver. It, it just, they, they were a pretty wide open offense in, in 08, but they just didn't really know what to do. You, in you notice they start moving the ball in the fourth quarter when they run that midline option yeah. that they would have great success with in the next couple of years with Taylor Martinez. And, and you're like, why weren't they running this the whole game? Yeah, there was a point in the fourth quarter where, and it was right before Alex Henry's third field goal to make it 10 to nine where Zach Lee back in the game after Cody Green's quick uh, quick um, foray and Zach Lee throws out of bounds to Brandon Kinney in the end zone. It would have been a go-ahead touchdown. Um, good coverage mm-hmm. by Texas, but perhaps a play that Nebraska could have made and it would have been game-changing. And Bo, at this point, he's upset about who knows what, everything. He's upset about Zach Lee. He's upset about some some uh, DPI calls that have that his his defensive backs have been hit with. Oh, he's we're upset about to about, get to that. Uh, yeah, he's upset about everything. He takes his gum and throws it at Sean Watson. So <laughs> this is this is where you know things are truly starting to boil over on the Nebraska sidelines when the head coach is chucking his gum at the offensive coordinator at the end of an offensive possession that led to points. So the only, the only thing I'll say, Max, and, and you, you talked about Roy Hallou and how there was a point where he was Nebraska's offensive game plan. He was all Nebraska had. I, I have to ask, why do you have to be so disrespectful to my man Rex Burkhead in this moment? Because Rex, I, I just want to drop a little bit of love for Rex Burkhead, the true freshman right. from Plano 
who had been recruit not recruited, who had been disrespected in, in, in his mind by Texas the year before as a running back out of the state of Texas. You know, he was, um, I think, the most trusted offensive player for Nebraska for a good portion of this game. But unfortunately, you know, he was dealing with some injuries. He was still young in his career. This is a guy who's still in the NFL, by the way. Um, and he yeah. just wasn't able to shoulder the entire load. We'll be right back after these words. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I know everybody's still mad about what happened at the end of the game. We're going to get to that. and Yeah, we will. After re-watching, I'm not nearly that mad about that. But if I'm a Nebraska fan... What I'm about to play you should make your head explode if you remember the play. So this is, it's 10 to 6. It's second and 10 from the Nebraska 40. Now it's second and 10, so this doesn't necessarily take away a chance for Nebraska to get the ball back. But if you watch this play, you you just, you'll lose your mind. Was that ball catchable? It sure didn't look like it, but a flag came down. It's like they're going to call pass interference. interference. Defense, number 21, 15-yard penalty, first down. I thought McCoy was throwing it away. Yeah, I think I think Bo Pelini, you and I, and everybody else watching the game. Let's watch this. Williams is working. And he gives up on the play. He's done. How's that pass interference? One of the worst calls I've ever seen. <laughs> One of the worst calls I've ever seen. The receiver quits on the play. McCoy is clearly just throwing it away out of bounds. And it, who do they, it was it Amu Kamara that they got? Prince of Kamara. That's yeah. Prince of Kamara. Yeah. 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 Unbelievable. I, like that, forget, if you want to say it was rigged, don't say it because of the last thing. Say it because of that. That that was, you remember Mitch, after the game, everyone was waiting for Pelini to blow up and, and we'll get to that part. But in the press conference, he was asked, did, did Texas get some home cooking in this game? And Bo said, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that too because uh got a more recent interview with Bo that uh we, we can we can talk about that. 
But let's let's get to the, the crux of the issue. So it's 12-10. Texas has the ball. They're moving. It's third down. And Indomitian Sue gets to Colt McCoy. Maybe one second earlier than he than he should have. And here it is. Hurry up. Third down and 13. Roll pocket right. Throw it out of bounds and stop the clock. Wait a minute. Did the game end? Nebraska thinks it's over. McCoy may have run the clock out. Mack thinks there's a second left. I thought there was a second left. I think Bo Pelini should settle down the Nebraska sideline. I think they can look at the clock in this situation. I thought there was a second. The previous play is under further review. So you've got Bo Pelini, hands raised in victory. Mac Brown holding up number one. One second left. I, listen, Chaos. in real time, it looks like the ball bounces before the clock hits zero. In real it time, did. that's what it looked like. It did, but was it reviewable is the question. And that's where Walt Anderson, the Big 12 coordinator of officials, comes in and says, in the instance of an egregious clock error, this play can be reviewed. Mm-hmm. And so he did, sitting in the press box. And that, I think, is at the crux of the issue. Was there an egregious clock error? I I guess there was because it's the end of the game. And so one second is a huge issue because if not, the game's over. But Walt Anderson is the guy in the crosshairs here because he makes the call from upstairs and sends it back down to the field. And, you know, all hell breaks loose at that point. You know, here, the, the okay, Texas, here, here's, here's the sync clocks. They, they, they show the replay with the sync clocks. Let's check it out. Here's the replay that they will be watching upstairs. There's the game clock is what is important. And the ball lands with one second. One second one left. Second left one on second left on that clock right there. Now, this is where I think football could take something from basketball. This technology was available in 2009. It's available now. They still don't use it. But you should have a clock that counts in tenths of a second. Yeah. And... A light that goes off when it hits zero, like a shot clock mm. does, mm. because it would have been a lot easier to tell what was going on in this in this moment. And to to Bo Pelini's point, you could have like you can say that synced up, but if the fix is in, you can you can make any conspiracy theory you want. Now the the great Texas historian Bill Little wrote this after the game. I assume he's right. Um. In 2009, the rule changed, and mistakes by clock operators became reviewable. <laughs> so in 2008, Nebraska wins the game. 2009, oh, they, they're able to go to the booth. I did not know that. I yeah, I was basing basing that off of the Walt Anderson comment after the game, and it may have been sometime later. But there is a quote out there, as I mentioned, about an egregious clock here. So I wonder if there's some connection. Between that egregious clock, I think, and it was late in game was a factor in that too. I think, but it's it's crazy. I certainly learned the 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 lesson there of it's about what when the ball hits something that that it's out. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I didn't know that either. I thought it was kind of when it crossed the. And it's amazing that that gets sorted out in thirty seconds. I I do feel like nowadays, I feel like, and you guys know from these these like ESPN broadcasts, like 
they have 15 different cameras now, right? So I think now, like, probably you would take maybe a little bit more time on it. And maybe people would, Nebraska fans would be zapruitering this for months. I'm, I'm not sure. This was a very fast review for what yeah, it was. It was. Right. So let's, all right, let's, let's hear the, uh, the call and, and the reaction to it. After further review, there's one second left on the game clock. So half cheers, half boos, and that leads to this kick with, as Max pointed out, Justin Tucker's on the sidelines. The 46 yard. Got it. Texas goes to Pasadena. Or maybe Justin Tucker was holding, but <laughs> what a kick. What a kick. And then you get to... And Nebraska goes to San Diego. <laughs> that's right. Not, not to the Poinsettia Bowl, but to the Holiday Bowl. So, yeah. you know, yes. not the worst thing. Now, Mac, Mac said after the game, Mac was always good at putting these things in perspective right after a game, right? He said, in Lincoln, it will be the clock. In Austin, it will be the comeback. And in Texas's case, like, to their credit, um, you know, Nebraska goes up within, in, in, takes the lead in the final two minutes. Texas gets the benefit of the the, the kickoff going out of bounds. But then they hit the play, yeah. McCoy to Shipley yeah. with a horse yeah. collar at the end. And Texas is instantly in field goal range there. Yeah, and, I, and the horse collar, I have no qualms with. Like, you had to get him down. But it, Mitch, isn't that just the bow era for you? Like it just sort of the you sort of shoot yourself in the foot in these moments when you really had a chance to do something pretty special. Oh, it's the bow era in every minute since then, uh, because Nebraska has not uh, has not finished shooting itself in the foot in any of the years that have existed after Bo Pelini was let go um, following the 2014 season. Or, I mean, seven seasons since six of them losing seasons and you could argue today that Nebraska does a better job of shooting itself in the foot than it did even in this in this 2010 Big Ten championship game or Big 12 championship but 20, 2009 sorry um, I will I will say the kick out of bounds by Adi Kunalik um, man it's hard to watch uh, and <laughs> and that one alone that little moment right there that is that's right there with all of the things that we've seen in Nebraska football history that have gone wrong, uh, over the last 10, 12, 15, 20 years, that's one little condensed minute right there, one play yeah. where you can think, man, what if? What if Adi and his big leg had just put that thing through the end zone? And he's kicking it to Marquise Goodwin, the the incredible you know speedster. And Marquise has already screwed up in this game, and he's he's fielded a line. kickoff return at, at the one-yard line down. Okay, So they're kicking it to Marquise, and this time, like, you know, it, he 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 makes a really heady play there to just let it bounce and bounce out instead of trying to go make a play and make up for the mistake he made. But you're right; it, it's just that little. That's one of those little moments, and um, you know, it, it's <laughs> it's it's quite a what if for Nebraska. So we were all in the post game. Bo Pelini was obviously furious. He was pretty pointed there, but didn't quite go all the way. Say what he. We was have really to recap the full post game because the post game yeah. is more dramatic than the game in some ways. Yes, yes. You have Walt Anderson. You have Bo. I right, let's 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 talk about that. Okay, so first of all, you've got Carl Pelini yelling at the Texas players when the game ends. Yes. you ought to be ashamed to accept that trophy. <laughs> 
and then you've got Bo saying, get me Walt, Efferson, Walt Anderson right effing now. He yells, BCS, that's why they made that call. Um, Walt, of course. And he's demanding... He talks- Go ahead. He's demanding to talk to Dan Beebe also. So he Walt is. and he, Dan. I mean, both, both he, can't he, decide who he wants. He, he, wants de- he demands too. FaceTime with Dan Beebe. Um, and uh, when when Dan Beebe uh, finds uh, Tom Osborne, the, who's the AD at the time on the field, Tom's like, can you can you please go talk to Bo? Uh, you know, and, and so they go off in the tunnel uh, under uh, AT&T Stadium in, in Jerry World there. And I, Mitch, were you, or were they, either of you guys watching this, witnessing this? No, I was in the okay, press so, box trying to get okay. down. Yeah. 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 And, and I was in the press box too. This was like the evil, um, the evil of, of working on deadline for a newspaper. Mm. And, and that I was, I was filing a story immediately after the game and then trying to update it with some of the, the craziness because you, you write and you, you can't prepare for what happened there in that moment. So I spent the entire post game press conference time in the press box. But I, I, I want to um, give a shout out to a couple of my colleagues yeah. from that day, from that time at the Omaha World Herald. So Dirk Chatlin and Lee Barfnick put together a story that I have, you know, since dissected several times. And, you know, so many poignant moments from that story as they, as they recounted every little movement of Bo and Carl on, on the field and in the tunnel and in the press conference after that game. And at one point after Bo had demanded to he had talked to Mark Fame, Nebraska's second in charge in the athletic department and demanded to see Tom Osborne, the AD. And then Osborne gets down there and Osborne goes out, as you mentioned, Max, to find Dan Beebe, the Big 12 commissioner. And he runs in Osborne runs into Harvey Perlman, the, the, the chancellor uh, at the University of Nebraska Lincoln. And they're together on the field. And after the trophy ceremony, Perlman and Osborne are walking off the field with Dan Beebe to go find Bo Pelini. And that moment, like it, it's, it, it all kind of crystallizes in that moment because a month later, they are having a conversation with Jim Delaney about potential Big Ten membership. And seven months later, they are in the Big Ten. They are accepting Jim Delaney's invitation. So you know, you can draw the connections between what happened on December 5th, 2009, with everything that happened in 2010 and 2011 when Nebraska officially went into the Big Ten and all that's happened in the 11 years since. And it's just crazy to think in those moments after the game as they stood there and talked to Dan Beebe that, like, that's really where it all uh, kind of came to a head. Well, they were looking for a commissioner to talk to, and, and Jim Delaney was happy to talk to him. So, uh mm-hmm. I remember Carl Pelini in that post game too. Very impassioned. He said it would be a disgrace if Sue did not win the Heisman, and he did not hold back that he thought Texas's offensive line was athletic, but he did not think that they were were physical at all. Yeah, it's well. They're fired. Bo, uh, Bo has not changed his mind much about this. Earlier <laughs> this year, he went on. Pardon my take, and. He got asked about this game, and uh, it, he did not hold back. Were you were you the coach in that Texas game? Yeah. yeah, that was one of the greatest games ever played by Sue. He almost won that game for you guys by himself. Well, we we did win the game. Yeah. Wait, one, oh, sec- yeah, yeah, yeah. one second. Yeah, 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 yeah. You did. Yeah, they you did. You're right. You're right. You clock. did win the game. We lost. But we lost, we but you won. Yeah. But that was one of like if you don't know that game, uh, Big Twelve Finals, uh, Nebraska versus Texas. 
Sue was just an absolute like he wrecked the entire game. Yeah, we we kill we dominated them. We dominated. Them. I mean, they were good. They had. I mean, they went to the national championship game. I think they put what thirty five or something up on Alabama. Yeah, they lost to Alabama like thirty eight, thirty five, or whatever it was. I mean, they couldn't get. That was the one that Col- probably McCoy got hurt. I think. Yeah, yeah. Gary Gilbert. In yeah, the yeah, yeah, half. yeah, yeah. In the Rose they Bowl. couldn't get any. First, they couldn't get first downs against us. Yeah, yeah. I was, like how you how you're holding on that you won the game. I mean, they did. You, you got me confused there for a second. I was like, wait, no, did, we oh, did. No, yeah, you did. Yeah, no, they put they. That was actually time, the next question. Time just the right, time spot. Yeah. Uh, did Colt McCoy's pass in the 2009 Big 12 championship game fall incomplete before or after time expired? <laughs> Well, let me tell you, until somebody will show me a split screen, well, it's, uh, you know, it's, you know, here's the ball hitting and here's the time running out. The time ran out. There, there was nothing, there was no evidence to say that that ball hit because they're not supposed to turn it uh, The clock isn't supposed to stop until the ball actually hits something. Right. Yeah. And I, I think they like went back and they... They said that it hit something on the sidelines. They side fucking lied. That was like sticking. <laughs> that was right? a that was a screw job. It was. It was. I was in they Austin wanted, because they would. They wanted Texas to go to the national championship game. Let's let's face it. Yeah, they wanted. They wanted. They wanted to make sure that a team from the Big Twelve went. They Drop lied. The it was a screw job. There you go. It, it, that's basically what he said in not so many words that night, and then he said it there now. His desire to see a split screen, like they show that on the broadcast in real time. So, but I I get where he's coming from. I'd feel the same way if I were him. Yeah, yeah. Hey, he held nothing back. For sure, for sure. I love I love how it's it's you know it doesn't seem to be weighing on his mind uh, more than a decade later. He seems to have moved on just fine. <laughs> well, <laughs> we've definitely processed that one. Yeah, for sure. I'd probably feel the same. I, I, I think I'd feel the same way, though. I think I'd hang on for to sure. that forever because you're there. You think you've won. It's over. Well, and, and Mitch, how many? I'm trying to think. Was it Texas scored did they, 21? Did, did, no, but did, did Nebraska go to yeah, three a lot, lot more credit for Garrett Gilbert than and lose them all? <laughs> say again, Max. I, I, I want to say Nebraska went to. Three, three or four conference title games, starting with this three. one. Three, three. yeah, they, they, it was they, at yeah, three they, in a row or three in a four-year span. Um, three. So they had two thousand nine. They had 09, They went. They lost in twenty ten to Oklahoma, which Oklahoma, they totally Oklahoma. Yeah, and then was it eleven or twelve against Wisconsin in the Legends Leaders? It was twelve um, big, because big, that was the year yeah. Ohio State and Penn State couldn't play. That's right. Right. So three and four years, and they got progressively. They actually got progressively worse in some way for Nebraska because this 09 game, of course, it comes down to the last second. In 2010, you have Nebraska take a 17-0 lead against OU and then blow it um, and lose that in what was its last game in the, in the, in the, as a member of the Big 12 um, It's before the, the bowl game that year. Um, and then in, in 2012 against Wisconsin, the Huskers got 70 hung on them. So it, it got it got more, you know, more disheartening, more heartbreaking uh, in 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 some way, depending on how you, you process it all. If you're Bo Pelini. But Well, and if we want to play the what if game, Andy, um, I, can, can we jump ahead to what happens next for Texas? Because I, uh, I, I would yeah. like to know where you stand. I mean, you remember Alabama still wins the game if Colt plays the whole game. Interesting. But please show your work. Yeah, I know you were there. We, we weren't there. The, well, Look, 
Texas would have scored some, but that defense for Alabama was ridiculous. And Alabama would have just squeezed out the clock. Like, this was still ball control, Nick Saban, give it to Ingram. Alabama had the better team. And it didn't start well for Bama in that game, but you it feel didn't. like... It did feel like it would have turned no matter what. Yeah. I mean, Alabama was going to get better at defending Texas as it went. So I, I still think Alabama wins that game, but it's probably a lot closer. Yeah. The, 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 one the, that, the great one line that, you don't forget is uh, after the game, Dennis Dodd says to Mac, well, Mac, I guess we'll never know. And Mac says it wouldn't have been close. It would and, have and been that very haunted, close. And that haunted probably would have Mac still and lost. Texas for, for quite a while. The one thing that bothered the hell out of me about that, though, was people saying that Colt McCoy didn't want to go back in the game. Like, that's oh, ridiculous. Crazy. Like, they had him throwing passes in the locker room at halftime, and he just he couldn't get anything on them. No. Like, it wasn't... It, you could not have put him back in the game. That part, I, I, I never understood. Like, and there were Texas fans that said that. I was like, what are you thinking? Of course he wanted to go back in the game. No, yeah, there, there's no way he could have gone back in that game. There's no way. Uh, yeah, it, I mean, it's just, it's sad that, because we were probably robbed of a very exciting yeah, national title for, game. For sure. And by, by Garrett Gilbert did his best to try and make it make it entertaining. Um, yeah. And, and wasn't that far off. But um, yeah, no, that, that game is, you know, it's an, it's an interesting, the whole thing is an interesting crossroads because obviously Texas took that loss really hard. Mac took that loss really hard. And things really fall apart on them in, in 2010, which ends with, uh, Will Muschamp leaving to be the head coach at Florida. Mac going through kind of this uh, this rebuild uh, within, yeah. within a year of playing for a national championship. Where well, you and, bring and in Garrett Gilbert Carson playing and, fairly and well in that in that spot made him, and, and he probably would have been the starter. Built anyway, him up but it, too much. Yeah, but we we built him up yeah. way too much that off season to put and put him in a position that was pretty unfair. I think. For sure. And that, but that's just, it's funny that that's just the nature of college football that you can be playing for a national championship. And we just saw it with LSU, really. You can be playing for a national championship and 12 months later, you know, be at your most dysfunctional moment, basically. Yeah. It, it is. And, and listen, neither of these programs have really been quote unquote back. Right. Since, mm-hmm. since this moment. And, you know, you keep wondering when it's going to happen. Texas, has flirted with it a little bit. Nebraska has been a little, it's, it's felt like a more steady decline, but you, you kind of wonder, will it ever happen again? You know, Texas, it seems like there's, there's still some hope. Nebraska, they got to get their stuff figured out. And Mitch, you and I have talked about this. Basically they, they've set the deadline on Scott Frost and they'll decide what they're going to do midway through this season, basically when his buyout drops but it is uh, it's hey, amazing. Big, Big Ten ain't getting any easier, guys. No. Right. Here we are, 13 years almost after this game, and you're still in, in Lincoln talking about direct fallout yeah. that exists as a result of what happened in the final seconds on that night. And December 2000. I mean, hell, they're it's, still it's talking incredible. about it on Better Call Saul. Yeah, Mitch, you, you get, we got <laughs> to talk go. about Better Call Saul. And, and Mitch, you got to set up the 2010 revenge game because here in Lincoln, that was a big, big deal. Yeah, I mean, that goes right into the Better Saul Call, Better better Call Saul moment, which I'll let, I'll let Andy explain because he watches the show and, and I do not. But in 2010, the year after this 
debacle that we've been discussing for the last 55 minutes. Nebraska changes quarterbacks, going to fix this thing. You got Taylor Martinez, the redshirt freshman phenom. You got Rex Burkhead back in the mix. You got a lot of this defense minus Sue back. Um, Huskers are flying high going into the middle part of the season. They're a big favorite, at least a favorite against Texas um, in what is Nebraska's last season. It's known to be Nebraska's last season in the Big 12. They've made the announcement in the offseason ahead of the 2010 season that they'll be jumping to the Big 10 in, in 2011. And here comes Texas as an underdog into Lincoln. Since the 2000, I'm sorry, since the 1999 Big 12 championship game that Nebraska won 22 to 6 against Texas and San Antonio, these teams at this point have played five times. All five games were Texas wins. Um, I believe four of the five were decided by seven points or less. You've had several that have, have been in the same vein as this one point Texas win in the 09 championship and the Longhorns are coming into Memorial stadium and Max, what happens on that day in, 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 uh, in 2010, this terrible Texas team comes to town and puts <laughs> it all together. They put it all together with, with Garrett Gilbert. I mean, Muschamp had an awesome plan for, for slowing down Taylor Martinez. And that was, that was kind of the first time you saw Taylor. Wasn't, wasn't it Mitch? Kind of one of the first times you saw Taylor Martinez actually struggle struggle. Uh, yeah, yeah, because he had at Washington. He had Washington. He's unreal game, to start the season. Kansas yeah. State, an unbelievable game. Yeah, and so what happens then? What happens this year? What? what, what how does this uh, merge with uh, with pop culture? Better call Saul. You got it's actually a flash forward in the show because the show is a is a prequel to Breaking Bad. So it's a but now it's a flash forward past the events of Breaking Bad. So Jimmy McGill a.k.a. Saul Goodman, is on the run after the events of Breaking Bad. Walter White is deceased. Jesse Pinkman is in the wind. And Jimmy McGill slash Saul Goodman is now Gene, the manager of the Cinnabon in Omaha, Nebraska. And Gene... Sets Where, up where's, the the where's the Cinnabon at, Mitch? One of the malls? I think it's fictitious. It's okay. fictitious. All right, keep going. I, yeah. Is there a Cottonwood Mall in uh, in Omaha? Is that a real thing? No. No. Okay. That is the name of the mall in, in fictional <laughs> That's Omaha. All right. Keep going. So he sets up a scheme. I don't want to spoil too much, but it doesn't really spoil much in, this, in, this, in the grand scheme of the show. But he sets up a scheme where he has to distract a security guard periodically and, and time his reaction time how long it takes him to eat a cinnabon basically because he's he's setting up a, a why not a, a caper basically caper. yeah and the discussions with the security guard played by the guy who plays jerry on parks and rec jim o'hare shout out right yeah. there right there for you max so the discussions all center around the huskers and at first saul goodman does not know much about the huskers so he's just like uh-huh oh yeah and and it's it is Jerry from Parks and Rec complaining about losing the Texas game and about how Taylor Martinez was was terrible and Polini's never going to get it. And then as the season goes on, like, because this is to illustrate the passage of time, Saul is learning more about Nebraska history, Nebraska football history. He's, he's bringing up Tom Osborne. He's bringing up Tommy Frazier. And then Jerry from Parks and Rec is getting happier with Bo Polini. He's not ready to fire him anymore. It was... The, 
it's just spectacular writing because they really did tap into the understanding of the rabid college football fan. Like this guy is, and it's per, Jim O'Hare perfectly plays him. Like it's Amazing. perfect. His his entire mood is dependent on the Huskers. I'm tempted to go back and watch the entire series from start to finish <laughs> just so I can get an appreciation for this moment. Yeah, I felt I felt some FOMO when this came out last week because you know I had a I, I usually pick a show to binge in the summer uh, as if summers are are not busy, right, Andy? Um, That's right. And I went Ozark over Better Call Saul this summer, and and uh, I'm loving Ozark, but uh, I, I need to get going on Better Call Saul. There you go. You well, you, now you got a show to when you're traveling in the fall, when you know you're stuck in a hotel and you got nothing to do. That's right. Watch a little bit of that. So that's that's the way to do it. And listen. I think that was a perfect postscript for this because like as as the security guard laments, it's just he, he can't believe this is happening to the Huskers. We, we got a lot of angst up here in Lincoln, Nebraska, Andy. That's just a yeah. fact. And, and it feels like the game we just talked about for an hour sort of just lit the match. And I realize we can go back to Frank Solich being fired, the Bill Callahan era, all that. But there still felt like there was a chance that it would come back at this point. And then afterward, it's just like, oh, come on. Yeah, Story I, of Nebraska football for the last two decades. You know, and I, it's a, it, just an aside, like I've had that conversation with um, with a coach that was on this Nebraska staff and asked just like, do, you know, if you win this game, like how different are things? And I think that they felt like, yeah, maybe I maybe this takes recruiting to like a little bit different level, right? If you win one of these, and and, and maybe you can kind of keep building. I mean, they were successful under Pelini, obviously, but that yeah. that taking that next step of you know being in that program that can win nine ten games, um, you know, on a pretty consistent basis and, and be in Big Ten title games, they just you know you go through a conference change that that's a factor, obviously, but they just couldn't really make that leap under under Pelini. And uh, I don't know, Mitch, do you think that you flip this outcome? Does it change much for Nebraska? The dominoes, you know, it's it's endless. The the thoughts that you can have about what dominoes may fall differently. Does Nebraska go to the Big Ten? I think that's the that's the that's the 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 ultimate. That's the biggest question that you have to ask. If Nebraska wins this game, are Harvey Perlman and Tom Osborne having the same conversations with Jim Delaney that they did in in, in 2010? Just months, and they're they're reigning Big Twelve champs. They 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 have finally after. After eight years, and eight years doesn't seem like very long of a time now, but it's been eight years at this point in 2009 since Nebraska played in a major bowl game, since it lost to Miami for the national championship in the Rose Bowl after the 2001 season. So they break that drought. They're in um, in the Fiesta Bowl, and then the Big Ten decides to start looking around. Are you really telling me that Nebraska, riding that high, is going to – decide to leave the big 12. I don't, I don't think that it was a slam dunk decision uh, when it happened. And I think that, that winning this game might have been um, the push that Nebraska needed in that moment to stay in the big 12. So, I mean, everything's Oof. different. If what a, if what Nebraska's if, in the big 12, yeah. If the, everything's somebody would have taken, I mean, the big 10 would have taken Nebraska. somebody. Yeah. All over. It's different. Maybe it's that's different Missouri with, at that point. Right, right. Missouri Maybe. certainly wanted to go to the Big Ten. Yeah. Wow, man, that would have been crazy, crazy. Here, here's another funny one. Mitch and I were talking about before the pod, Andy. Okay, so let's say the outcome is flipped, and Cincinnati 
is going to the national championship with Tony Pike and Marty Gilliard and, mm-hmm. and a, you know, a, a good team. Yes. At that same time, so so what does Brian Kelly do about Notre Dame if Cincinnati is going to the national championship game? I think he says, I need to coach this game. And Notre Dame's like, really? nope. Really? You think you is think this Notre the same Dame, Brian Kelly? Same Brian Kelly that we saw leave for LSU? It's uh, the national yeah. championship it's game. It's the national though. championship game. Notre Dame could have been in the national championship. Notre Dame could have been in the national championship last year when Brian Kelly decided to. Yeah, but we knew they weren't gonna. Right. Like okay. Or right. Right. So so what? But but you're right. Like I mean, it's so important. Obviously, it's a huge job, right? And and you're 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 willing to probably bend your rules a little bit for Notre Dame. But do you think Notre Dame moves on to the next candidate? Yes. Mm, Wow. Who might that have been? Because that was Stoops. funny watching watching the game and seeing that on the bottom line that Bob Stoops denying that he's going to go to Notre Dame. Um, yeah, I wonder what what that would have what 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 that would have come down to if Brian Kelly is unavailable for that job. I mean, is Urban Meyer in in the conversation there? I, no, because he's Florida's coach now. He's right, retired. Right. Actually, he's, he's resigning as Florida's coach. That's right. The next day, and then <laughs> wow. coming back twenty four hours later. That's right. Okay. <laughs> That, Wild times like, we were living. Yeah. So you're saying so the, yeah, the night after that game, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sitting I, I'm home. I think it's the night. I think it's that Sunday. Maybe in the Monday. But I'm ho- I get home. I'm sitting on my couch in my living room. I hear a ding of an email. I go walk over to my computer. Urban Meyer resigns. Like, huh? Forgot, I've forgotten this. And then I he came back. <laughs> 24 hours later, decides, never mind, I, I'm not resigning. I, I'm going to coach in 2000. And he was citing his health and that kind of thing? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Because remember, Saturday other? night would have been the night that he had to go to the hospital. So wow. if Notre Dame swings and wow, if Notre Dame swings and misses at Brian Kelly, how about one of the other undefeated coaches in that 2009 season? And then you're looking Chris at Peterson Gary, or Gary Patterson. Correct. Correct. <laughs> wow. Mm. Man. So really, it changed funny. everything. It did. It did. Well, thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Mitch and Max, for, for donating your time. This has been a blast. As I said before, we're going to do more of these. It's probably going to be a little while because we, you know, there's a season we got to cover now. But I'm so glad we got to do this one because this is this was one of the games when we when we started this idea that I was most excited to do. And as you can tell, it absolutely lived up to it. So thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow.